0: Absolutely delighted to be joined by Edward Lawless. Um, Ed is the Executive Director of Learning and Innovation at the Qatar Foundation. Um, Ed spent many years prior to his current role um, working in international schools around the world. And in this conversation, uh, we'll be discussing a range of topics covering professional development in schools, uh, including current best practices, how schools can leverage their own staff to optimize professional learning, uh, and how you build buy-in amongst staff to engage fully in professional learning opportunities. So yeah, great to have you. uh, on this discussion uh, Ed.
1: Very good to be here Max.
0: Awesome so yeah if we could just maybe start with uh, yeah if you want to just do a quick um, quick introduction of yourself a bit about your your professional journey today that would be great.
1: Sure Um, education English English teacher from start and still there in my soul deep in my soul. Uh, So high school English teacher in uh, New York State public schools for a little While while I was studying my PhD and I think I wanted to be the Indiana Jones of literature back then, but um, opted to become a high school teacher and uh, left the United States in 1987 and uh, held international school teaching and administrative jobs in France, Singapore, Australia. Uh, UK in Oxford, when I started working with Pomoja Education and the Online IB diploma program courses, um, then into Japan and Tokyo for a few years, working with school group there, in China and Hong Kong with the Harrow School Group, and now here in Qatar uh, with the Qatar Foundation and pre-university Education. Generally, um, been working with school groups, And most part, international baccalaureate and spent a few years, as you know, working directly for the international baccalaureate and um, as regional manager for professional development for Asia Pacific. Yes.
0: Brilliant stuff.
1: But happy, so
0: yeah, so diving, diving straight into it. Um so in in your experience, having worked in, you know, like you said, many, many international schools and school groups um and education settings, um, how adept would you say our schools are understanding um their own professional development um learning needs for, for their staff? I'm gonna
1: qualify all of my answers with before we get started with one thing. Um this is not going to be a, re- a research-based, highly academic discussion, if that's okay with you, Max. Man, um, okay. <laughs> my my experience in professional development really comes from the School of Hard Knocks more than anything else. And while I could quote all the big names, I prefer to um, quote life experience, because I th- think some ways that's what resonates most with our schools and our school leaders. Um, and that's what they understand. And in your question about how adept Schools are at their understanding of professional development needs of their staff. It depends on on how you define adept. Um, it depends on what they consider is enough. And frankly, I don't think there's consistency in that standard. Um, sometimes, for some schools, adept is yeah, it's good enough. Yeah, we throw some money at it and keep them happy. Others very robust, very competitive with themselves in challenging themselves to be healthy and um, professional learning communities that go from strength to strength. And um, so so I guess the first thing, it depends on your, your context and your definition of adept, I'd say. The second I'd say is it depends upon the school's capacity to identify evidence-based needs. And that's not always readily available in school community. Um, there might be a lot of data, but data that's usefully and rele- relevantly interpreted um, from all angles, that's another story. So evidence-based needs, I would say in two, two directions, top-down, strategic objectives. In other words, um, to what degree does the organization know where it's headed, Have they have they, defined their strategic objectives and do they know where they need to go and what are the implications in that top down and i know i'm being brutally vertical in that but those are the facts aren't they that schools know where they want to go and they want their staff to get there there's a big gap because sometimes schools aren't very clear in defining that for their staff and secondly it depends on their capacity to clearly identify the evidence-based needs from the bottom up at the individual degree. And what I mean by their individual degree is not just their capacity to get to where they want to go, but sometimes even their dispositions and interests in getting there. Um, Sometimes schools pivot and move in directions without really gauging whether their staff wants to come with them in that direction, um, let alone whether they're able to. Uh, But in terms of the bottom up, I think it's about measuring and having evidence about where the staff currently are regarding those organizational needs and their dispositions and their competencies. Also where their staff want to be, um, not necessarily regarding their performance, but regarding their career aspirations. Um, I've been amazed how many times I've done performance review with staff and asked them questions about how I'm doing as a manager or where they see themselves in five years and how many staff will go, nobody usually asks me those questions. And for me, that should be bread and butter um, to find out what does the, the staff and teacher want to do? And frankly, one of the most frustrating, frustrating conversations I've had with staff are staff who feel compelled to take a promotional trajectory into administration out of the classrooms that they love you know, and, and go, why can't I be promoted and have, let's be blunt, you know, higher rewards, both professionally and remuneration, but stay in the place where it matters instead of being promoted out of the place, which is not my comfort zone necessarily, but my, my expertise. But anyways, I'm getting into the long grass on that. You know, where does, where does staff want to go? And, and the third, which obviously is a little bit controversial, is where. How do you know where staff are struggling? You know, um, and that's what I mean. Do you have, do you have the evidence to capture candid, trustworthy assessments of where student, where, where staff are performing? You know, in their own capacity, in their own eyes, and in the lines of their line manager. So. Um,
0: yeah, and and just sort of I suppose considering some of those best practices with regards to yeah whether it's top down or bottom up, you know how how do you how do you um uh put those systems in place to identify those schools various various needs or individual needs of of those staff? Um, what what sort of tangible practical um, best practices have you, have you come across in, in your in your experience working?
1: Some of the best practices have been, and this is a tough bridge to cross, is being shoulder to shoulder with your hr systems that means do you have clear and accessible education language in layman's terms that everybody is speaking in the community you know too many times too much educational language and jargon distances parents students and sometimes colleagues but if you have just layman's terms concepts and vocabulary that especially your HR team can come to the table and say, I get that. So you're making sure that your, your HR teams are asking questions or, with, or, or recognizing your language, do you know what I mean, in their assessment of where staff are. And, and that's key. That's key to me. Um, and then making sure that you have those reliable quantitative and qualitative metrics it could be KPIs, it could be self-evaluation, it could be peer evaluation, it could be classroom observation. And of course, um, <laughs> the best schools I know know how to distinguish facts from judgments. Uh, that a teacher's examination results are not their performance indicators. They are a reflection of something, but not that. Um, You know, so uh, those are the points where you start conversations, not end them. You know, Um, know, so there's all kinds of important data sets. Uh, It could be it could be student satisfaction. You know, and I don't find a lot of schools that are doing what we started doing here is a school climate index where school by school and across the community. We're judging the hidden curriculum. We're starting. Well, not judging it. We're trying to tap into how happy are our communities? how happy are our staff? how happy are happy they in terms of their well-being and their progress and their achievement you know so there are all kinds of systems and data sets that you can create but that's actually the third piece it's not just the language and the systems in terms of speaking the same language but is the data coming down pipes that are reliable you know because you need to be able to collate analyze and sometimes in a systemic way just press a button and sort it and go what are the numbers telling us and let that start a more profound individual or focus group discussion to define needs and one more thing max i would say we've only talked about needs um schools sometimes are very weak at identifying needs they're even weaker at identifying priorities because you could have a whole room full of needs but Trying to get everybody and the stakeholders together to determine, okay, let's put these in a rank order and how we're going to address them, that's a whole nother story. You
0: know.
1: Yeah. It's, I sound yeah. depressing already, don't I, Max? No.
0: <laughs> it's just so multifaceted, isn't it? It's um there's so many moving parts to, yeah, it's there's there's the the needs of having to record it but then with that data what do you do with it and you know it's yeah it's it's massive it's a massive task isn't it and it's just such a fundamental thing that underpins everything that a school does doesn't it and like you said the well-being of the staff you know it's just something as as what well, simple or as complicated as that is um is, is so key to to try and measure i mean do you have any advice on how how you've gone about trying to measure that with regards to sort of the well-being piece that's obviously a buzzword we... but it's, it's fundamental no, so we have, and I won't go into the long grass of
1: the, the types of questions, but we have questions about their own satisfaction, their own well being, their own own sense of safety and safeguarding, you know, to what degree they're in in their community. Um and you know, that goes for all students. And, you know, some of those questions have actually even been modified for some students in the community so that they're able to access and contribute that. Um, and as well as, you know, the parent community as well. It's important that we're getting that 360 degree perspective. As I said, now we just, it was a long slog and the team has done a great job, but it's the first time we've been through it where they've just crunched that data. They provided individual reports to each school. And now that school, each school is sitting back and going through, okay, um, let's go through the key indicators. What are, our, uh, what are our surveys, our satisfaction surveys to staff saying? what is our school climate, our needs analysis that we're putting out to everybody? What our school climate surveys say? What do our our own kind of external assessments say in terms of our IB evaluation data, our CIS or NEASC or Middle States recommendation? And we're really just bringing that all together to heads of schools so that they can collate it into saying, okay, well, here's my snapshot. Now, What we purport to be doing, and this is the first time we've done it, is on March 21st, get everybody in one room for two and a half hours and workshop that data. Workshop that data so that by the time we come out, we will have, hopefully, three bundles. What are the priorities that all schools have? What are the priorities that some schools have? And what are the priorities that are unique to your school alone? And, you know, frankly, that's an essential activity before you can do anything like budgeting, you know, and and seeing in the collective, how can we now leverage this collective need so that we can get more competitive rates on affordable solutions, you know, that we can, instead of, as you know, these siloed communities where one school goes out and finds the solution and then they crow about that solution to everybody else and everybody goes, why wasn't i invited you know and it it's that kind of look at it when the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing i i blame the brain you know so we're trying to we're trying to make some connections and and be more shoulder to shoulder in our Mm. pd planning. and and it's it's going well it's going very well
0: and and now just sort of touching on those um those opportunities, those fresh development opportunities and services. Um, generally speaking, uh, you know, from, from what you've seen in, in, in your career, how, how good are schools at sourcing relevant and suitable fresh development opportunities and services?
1: Um, <laughs> you see, this is one of those dangerous questions. You should be. <laughs> um, two things. And 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 I'm going to use a simple word that's reductive, but um, what are your criteria for trust? You know, trust is what it's all about. Who do you trust and why? Um, so sometimes who you knew or who you know is is really hamstringing schools, you know, or who's got the flashiest presentation through LinkedIn or who's trending, you know. I'm amazed at how good educators have become at self-promotion. All right, and, and educational specialists, um, and and uh, you know, and, and bravo to them. They're doing real, and some of them are really. It's not just fluff, obviously. If they've got that reputation, for a reason. But you know, if you don't have clear, objective criteria to gauge what your solutions are then you're gonna be in trouble. It's gonna come down to personal preference of school leadership. It's going to come down to personal trust of who you know. And I've always been a firm believer that two things, good ideas can come from any direction. And and sometimes the answer is in your own backyard. Uh, And again, that's trust, but we know profits are never recognized in their hometown, right? So in terms of the latter, I don't think schools are good enough at canvassing for their strengths and celebrating their strengths and cross-pollinating those strengths within or across the community. Um, And I think schools could be better at that. We're certainly taking strides to do that. Um, And in terms of then seeking external solutions, uh, in terms of some of the objective criteria here, obviously we work on the basics of professional profile. what is the reason for your recognition? You know, what's your past experience or qualifications? Is it publications, is it research? We know, you know, are people doing more than trending, you know, and are they doing more than just a one hit wonder? You know, coming in, stirring and then moving on. You know? um, but aside from the professional profile, is, is there contextual relevance and their cultural responsiveness? You know, is it the right fit for your school need? Or is it the latest thing that everybody else is doing? So I need to get on board. Um, so, you know, is it contextually relevant to your school needs? And here, especially in Qatar, cultural respons- responsiveness is just as important. You know, every day I'm very careful with this face about what I'm recommending, you know, in a community that I've only been here for six months. You know, so my job is to really ask empowering questions and tease those needs out and help to match them. And, and you know, it's a, it's a, it sounds like a corny phrase, but we try to be global, global and local and, and recognize and respect that we need to be locally rooted but globally minded when we're finding those those solutions. Both and that's core to the type of students that we develop, but it should also be core in terms of the type of PD that we source. Um, but look, the other three key things I say is, is it accessible? And accessibility here for me means time, language, and cost. You know, can, is it going to be, you know, anybody who says, oh, I only do online, and I can only, I only do it face-to-face and I only do it under these conditions, you know, and, and that's just not gonna work for most school groups that are on a budget, you know? Um, is it sustainable? To what degree is what they're going to do going to empower the institution to be independent rather than build dependencies for future services? Um, and I don't mean to be a suspicious New Yorker, but because I don't think, I think most professional development specialists are the former. I think they are authentically empowering communities towards self-regulation and, self, and independence um, in that sign. But that's an important part of, of sustainability. Um, and the last I would say is uh, impact, uh, measurable impact. And that's hard that's really hard you know uh, i don't know what the answer is because isn't that the holy grail isn't that what most people are looking for
0: you know yeah, yeah exactly yeah and then you mentioned there something about um, you know around sometimes the the solution is actually in your own backyard and um, a lot of schools can, can, uh, you know, leverage fantastic knowledge and and expertise within their own staff, can't they? So um, what are some of the ways that the schools can leverage um, their own staff and internal expertise to, to optimize professional development and learning in their school?
1: So one of the things I love about, and I have always liked about being an educator is the intangible rewards, right? You you know, the fact is educators tend to be motivated by other things than the bottom line, otherwise we probably wouldn't be doing this. But um, for us, sometimes those intangible rewards is just being celebrated, being recognized, Um, or even just the altruistic and, and, and personal reward of seeing what you know helps somebody else. I mean, as an educator, that's what we do with students that's what we should be doing with our colleagues as well although i've always found it fascinating how the same educators who in a classroom of rampant 12 12 year olds can master and control that class get all self-conscious and and nervous in front of, of their peers or adults it yeah. just boggles my mind you know that they're lion tamers by day but then nervous about going into one of the safest what should be one of the safest environments possible yeah. um, Max. so i don't know if i answered your question about concrete ways but look obviously vertical and horizontal learning communities whether they're face-to-face job alike or whether they're online forums this is really really easy mm-hmm. and um one thing i did when i was with the harrow group um in uh, in hong kong working with the harrow schools is we, we simply made sure that we were creating professional learning communities and keeping them going by um, every week a different leader would select an article or a research piece or even a blog that they found was relevant. We translated it either from English to Chinese or from Chinese to English. We gave a few bylines and perspectives. We just every week we threw it into the discussion forum as chum in the water to try to stir discussion and we asked that person to facilitate the forum, you know? And we all know that discussion forums can become ghost towns if they're not facilitated in professional learning communities online, but this really did start to get a little bit of buzz going, I think. And and yeah, and to that end, sometimes incentivizing it by recognizing the people who are most active in those communities, that makes a difference. that's yeah, it just
0: builds that, that cadence, doesn't it? Um, you know, if you've got a, a simple feed, it doesn't take much to to sort of put something in there and start a conversation or show something that inspired you. It just goes to help building that culture, is not it? Sort of um, of everyone together, everyone not being not being scared to, to to showcase something that that you were inspired by and not worrying about oh whether someone else might feel the same way or whatever
1: exactly exactly and you know i've it's not that hard to just send a, set up what you think are essential and kind of high quality rss feeds mm. and news feeds and once a week drag and drop and go hey put it out there i mean as i said before this happens in in linkedin all the time doesn't it you know and and people could easily just piggyback off of those things and comment um so yeah i don't want to sound cynical because i'm not i mean uh, You know, these types of social media kind of uh, posts, they're authentic, you know, and people are really doing a good job at stirring opinion and and others and chiming in. Um, So, yeah, I think I think there's a lot that could be done with homegrown talent. Mm -hmm. The other thing, sorry, that I find schools, especially school groups, really don't leverage enough is a resource as PD resource repositories just people saying you know hey share your unit planners share an assessment strategy share this just throwing things in into a well-managed uh community space where again you know if you want you can set up a micro credentialing community where people get credits for how much they share and how many likes they get for those shares or feedback on how well people say they use it but um yeah, it makes a difference, I think.
0: Yeah, and that, and that sort of touches on the next question, really, about sort of building and incentivizing in particular. Um, are, are there any other sort of things that, that you've come across? Uh, you know, how how do you build that buy-in um, to take it to the next level and incentivize staff and teachers um, at your school to, to engage in professional development opportunities?
1: Um, this is always a painful topic for, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, and I'm gonna be terribly reductive. So if people get angry with me, I apologize upfront, but um, you have two approaches to incentivize, right? It's carrots and sticks, right? Expectations or, you know, recognition versus expectations. And, and, you know, I've seen some school communities that when they say specifically, these are your requirements, this is our expectation. Every teacher must have X number of hours of professional learning, Per year, as part of their contractual obligation. I mean, you'd ask your pilots and surgeons to do that, probably, because there's a lot at stake. You know? Yeah. you know, on the on, on the other hand, I don't think that there is open-handed and flexible about respecting a student-centered, learner-centered culture where you let the teacher drive a certain a large portion of what that means. Um, you let them. Oh, sorry, the lights are going out here. We have a we have an energy switch, yeah.
0: (laughs) We are sustainable here at
1: UF, but um, yeah. So so letting the teacher drive what they do with those hours or a large portion of it. So what we tried to do, and we did this at Harrow, and I think it's a good concept. Is you have three strands of professional development opportunities. You have core learning, which is non negotiable. It's it's required. It could be new teacher induction, or it could be induction because you have a new system that everybody needs to get their head around. Um, You have professional learning, which is the large part of what does the evidence say you could or should be doing. Um, And then you have shared learning, which we just talked about, you know, how are you being recognized and are there enough opportunities for you to stand, share, take a bow and help a colleague, you know? Um, So, those are kind of the, the, the sticks and the carrots. You know what I mean? If you're incentivizing it and recognizing that, it can work well. But the final most painful thing that I, everybody talks about is time. Time. Um, our, our schools building as the most valuable resource in schools. I'd say it, you know. And the prep hours in a timetable for staff, not enough so what's happening they're staying after school for pd or are they coming in on the weekends for pd or are they expected to you know during their holidays you know it's that that's the hardest thing really
0: and i suppose that that again that sort of reinforces that point of uh, little and often right rather than you know it's great having these grand professional development uh, opportunities uh, on offer and that's absolutely essential Uh, but having that Space where it can just be drip fed throughout the day and not not be this great cumbersome thing that teachers have to think about, uh, you know, blocking out hours to to do uh, outside of their teaching time. It can be something that you know, like you said, that community um, where people can share resources, share ideas, share inspiration. And and that's it. If it can be agile
1: and flexible around their time, their dispositions, and their interests, and still capture data. And you know what? Again, I hate to sound like a techie, but my years in Pomoja made me realize that, and, and it was a real challenge. I had, we had um, 100, 125 or so teachers from around the world in uh, I think 12 different departments with department heads. We had virtual learning community, professional learning communities or staff rooms. And those, those heads of department did an amazing job of not just the induction, but also moderation and ongoing professional development, management of asynchronous forums, Um, And, you know, they just kept it going of themselves. And that was essential because, think about it, you might be in a department of 20 teachers in our online psych course coming from 20 different schools with 20 different mindsets about how to write reports or what assessment standards look like. And um, we had to really constantly bring these people together. on their own terms when they were available. Um, and look, that's where it taught me that it can be done. Um, it it also taught me that sometimes a good PD isn't about me, you know, it's about getting out of the way so that it's about the teachers and what they need under the conditions that they want. But that's back to trust. Not every institution can be that trusting. Um, because, look frankly because some some schools have been burned in those, under those conditions potentially but anyway and,
0: and then sort of looking at that the the measure measuring piece and then sort of measuring the impact um yeah. what are some of the tools that, that you know schools schools and leaders can can use to to measure or, or tell whether a professional development initiative is is working making a difference um yeah
1: again in my, with my reductive kind of vocabulary um I look at it in three ways um. Engagement satisfaction and impact. Uh, engagement is if you built it, did they come? you know And that's, that's, that's the lowest measure, isn't it? But were there, were they sitting in the seats and paying attention? you know or were they online and following, did they complete those three days in that IB workshop and did they get their certificate? You know but um, that's all we have. you know, frankly, Um, is engagement. Uh, After that, satisfaction. And I know some people would say it should be learning, but no, I just say, look, if you built it and they came, did they like it? Uh, And by like it, I mean, did they find it valuable? Did they find it rewarding? Did they find it relevant? You know, and that's hopeful, but that's the next step up. You, You have to have a metric of, well, you want to know in a survey right away and we build surveys so that they don't get their certificate until they've answered the survey. So we can get a hundred percent feedback, you know, I mean, you have to, but it's because we want the unvarnished truth, you know, was it contextually relevant? Is it going to make a difference to your practice and how could it be better? The third impact is the higher order. And, um, you know, if they, if they, if they, if you built it and they came, did they like it and did they use it and to what effect? Um, those are longitudinal studies that take time. And so one of the things that we're doing here is we're trying to build in cycles and track activity so that we can come back and focus groups with them three months later, six months later, a year later. What do you do? I mean, how often before they get survey fatigue and just say, leave me alone, will you? It's, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to gauge, but you do wanna know, and partly because that's where your shared learning comes in. If you get somebody who has actually used it and can crow about it, then put them back on a stage and say, show us how this training made a difference to your practice. But look at real impact obviously comes in terms of learning outcomes. Those are, those are long-term longitudinal indicators and for some some learning outcomes we all know there's so many variables at play hormones might make a difference better than pd to student outcomes you know have they grown up are they more are they more mature you know are they what changed their behavior and their outcomes i hate to say it but there are a lot of, there are a lot of variables at play you know yeah. so
0: yeah. And, and sort of then thinking about, you know, measuring, measuring PD, obviously, you know, I feel well would measure, measure it all. And we just use the ones that have the, the greatest impact and, and, um, and the highest engagements and the highest satisfaction, uh, but, but should, and, and can all PD be measured? Uh, you know, are there some really effective pressure uh, development initiatives or, or things that teachers and staff can yeah. do that, that can't be measured? No, I think that
1: there's some, look at, I think everything can be measured. I think the, the validity of the measure in the, the, end thing again, as I said before, there are facts and there are judgments and they're different, you know? I think at the end of the day, those evaluations, the the numbers, um, they're a little bit like funhouse mirrors, you know, or they make you look at it and go, ooh, do I really look like that? Or did it really, it's supposed to spur reflection and self-inquiry as a practitioner, you know? And really, I think, the measure of impact comes in the dialogue with the practitioner. Because um, otherwise statistical impact, uh, I don't mean to be a naysayer. There are people out there who are researchers who are much more better, much better equipped than me to answer that question. Um, again, as you know, just from my demeanor, I take a more cultural approach and personal approach to the PD agenda than the statistical. Um, and I'd always say, this, Statistical is an indicator of success, but it's not success.
0: Fantastic. That's um, yeah, that's just such such great insights and uh, and yeah, that, that brings us to the, to the end of the discussion. Actually, it's um, it's uh, yeah, flown by. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ed, for, uh, for for taking that time. You know, some great great insights that I'm sure many of our members will find so so useful. So um, yeah, looking forward to. No, that's great. And look, at I just
1: I just closed by saying. Um, in in terms of PD, sadly, it's a little bit like uh, in school in school budgets. The first thing they cut are the the arts, you know, or sports, or the things like that. Well, and in, in school budgets, PD is always under scrutiny because what you said the 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 bottom line is how do we know the return on investment? Um, and again, I'll come back to that word on trust. You know, is is uh, I remember saying to somebody who was in a previous school that the financial manager when it came to pd or i said you know in the in the accounts of goodwill you only know when you're in the red when it's too late mm-hmm. you know and and so in terms of the risk analysis why would you hedge your bets you know why would you take that risk um and the other great memory i have is a is a when i was at Hale school in perth in western australia i worked under a guy named john verarity who is a uh, former cricket legend in Australia, which qualifies you to do almost anything, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but he happened to be a great educator and school leader as well. And I remember he was challenged by his board about uh, the expense of staff having free lunch in the dining hall with the boarders. And uh, they said, mm, this is an expensive item. You know, it's all just going to staff. And he said, no, that's, that's distributed across our our pastoral care budget and our professional development budget. And they said, what's the logic in that? He said, well, when that staff member walks into that dining hall, he's going to make two choices. Do I sit next to a student? In which case, nine times out of 10, the conversation is going to be a form of pastoral care. Or do I sit next to a colleague? In which case, nine times out of 10, he's going to talk about practice, and that's going to be professional development. And that was the end of the conversation. Now, there was no measurable return on investment, but that single thing, he was absolutely right. You know, it was an intangible return on investment that contributed to the goodwill, and it contributed to the work ethic, and it brought teachers closer to students and teachers closer to colleagues. Hmm. So I know that's not statistically valid, but... um, it's probably worth considering for something. But it's situation. all these little things
0: that will add up, won't they? You know, after a while. You know, it's um it's just these little tweaks and little adjustments uh, that you can make to bring people closer together, foster that collaboration, communication. It can only be a good thing, I think, ultimately, can't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Fantastic. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much, Ed, for your time. That was um No worries. Fantastic. The sun is
1: setting. That's that's symbolic here. So um <laughs> leave oh, me to it, Max. It's no, been lovely do. speaking with you.
0: Lovely speaking. Fantastic. With you. Looking forward to maybe doing a part two, Ed. Thanks so much for your time again.
1: Thank you.